All right, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Everyone doing well? Yeah? Awesome. Hey, my name is Brian Smith. I am the student pastor here at DBC. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to talk to you, you know, after service. Come and say hey to me. That would be amazing. It is the last week of a series that we are in that is called the Ishakar Factor. And the idea behind the series is all the way back in the Old Testament, uh, King David was gathering his warriors and they were assessing the, the, the people and the nations around them. And there was a group of men, uh, the sons of Ishakar, who understood the times. And in the series, what we've been talking about is how do, we, how do we change the culture around us by pursuing Jesus in, in our jobs, in our workplaces, uh, in our church, in our homes, in our marriages, in a culture of anger like Alan talked about last week and this morning. Uh, Peter is going to talk about something that is very specific to churches, to uh, something that happens inside of churches, something that should unite people, but if we're not cautious, it will begin to divide uh, people. And church, this matters. This matters so much for us to talk about. Healthy church, growing in the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be. Because, And I hope that you guys have experienced this as, as part of DBC. But a healthy church, a church that really is pursuing Jesus, it's one of the best things in the entire world. But a church that loses focus and maybe turns their back on the, the, the way God wants his, his family and his people to be, those churches can become so dangerous to people's faith. It's important for us to grow as a church, to be healthy as a church, to be the church that God dreamed of when he dreamed up uh, DBC and our place here in our community. And so I'm going to talk about something that if we're not cautious, will divide us. And what's crazy about us as people is we like division. Like we like things that cause us to be separated. Sometimes it's the smallest little things that cause arguments and cause fights and cause divisions, even in our own homes. So just, just for example, um, is there anyone here, like raise your hand, is there anyone here who has a very specific opinion on how a dishwasher should be loaded? Does anyone have that? So I'll be honest with you. Uh, in my family, my wife is the organized one. She's the one who does all the hard stuff. Uh, I play with the kids. I do the easy stuff. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, I care about that dishwasher. And I have stopped it after Sarah started it before just to rearrange some stuff, which is crazy because the spoons should face up, right? When you put the spoons in the thing, the spoons face up. They get clean, not down. That's how it should be in my mind. Uh, small thing. I don't know why it causes division. This one isn't... Uh, like particular to me, I don't have any like uh, dog in this fight, but some people really care about which way the toilet paper is facing, like really care about it. And there are fights over there, like you better turn it this way. I've never paid attention to it in my life. Uh, I know my family growing up, I'm, I'm from South Georgia where it's, it's just hot all the time. It's hot, just hot all the time. And my dad was the king of the thermostat at my house. I don't know if that's still something people fight over today, but like my dad could tell, he could tell if you, if you moved it a, 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 just a, you know, a millimeter one way or another, he knew. He was like, I could tell what's happening. We fight over things, right? These small things that shouldn't be big issues, if we're not cautious and we don't address those, those things will grow and they'll cause bigger issues and bigger issues. And as a church, Peter is going to speak into something that is true for all of us. It was true for the church back then, and it's just as true for us as a church right now. Uh, so I'm going to jump into it uh, with everybody. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and Peter starts off the chapter like this. He says, I exhort, or like I encourage, I challenge, I'm calling people to action. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ 
as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Peter is saying, hey, I am an older guy in the church, and he's going to speak to the older generation at the church that he's writing to. So this morning, we're going to talk about different generations within our church. Sometimes in the scripture, when it uses the word elder, it means a a staff position at a church. uh, And that's true in this passage as well. But Peter is also, oh, I couldn't say specifically, sorry, is specifically talking to the older generations at this church. He's also going to speak to the younger generations and how these different groups should work together, how this should be something that unifies us and not separates us. Here's what I know. I know right now there are about seven generations that we have been tracking here in in the U.S. And apparently I I didn't know a whole lot of information about generations and and where they came from. But America's um, obsession with, with, you know, separating people based on the ages of the years they were born, this, this, this trend actually started right after World War II. And if you're interested in learning more information about how that trend has shaped people and youth culture and and family life, um, Alan Jackson has a pastor's Bible study. It's a podcast. You can find on the DBC app. I think it's on Spotify, but it's also on the Apple uh, podcast app as well. And he dives deep into these generations and how they shaped us and how they've changed us. But right now there's about seven of them. And, and honestly, church, in our room right now, there's probably someone from every single one of these generations. It's not in the room, definitely part of our church. And each one of these generations has their own you know, unique flavor, their own unique language, their own unique music, the way they dress, the way they talk, the things that matter to them, the things that don't matter, their own worldview, their in politics. And here's what I've learned uh, working in student ministry for a long time. Uh, the older I get, the stranger the younger generation seems. <laughs> I don't know if that's true for the rest of everyone in the room, but that's what it feels like to me. It feels like every year I get older, I'm like, oh no, I'm further and further disconnected from the people around us. And this is the danger that the older generation faces, allowing that division to shape us and to change us. And so this morning, I, I want to speak uh, to the older generation in our church. Uh, but I also want you to know that I consider myself part of the older generation. Like I am part of the older generation. And I'm going to give you some evidence why. The students have heard me talk about this a bunch. But here's how I know I'm old. Like, I know I'm old. I've crossed the line uh, somewhere along the way. Here's how I know that I'm old. I don't, if I go on Spotify right now, I don't recognize the name of any of the top 20 musicians. Like, not their songs. I don't recognize their names, y'all. It's wild. Uh, parents, also heads up. If you go to dbc.org slash parents or slash students, there's a link that, that's for parents. And on there, you'll find a ton of resources about different current issues, um, like hot topic issues that are happening uh, in the, the youth culture of the day. You can read all about them. It's from this organization called Axis, um, Axis Parenting. And I pay Axis Parenting to send me an email twice a month that tells me like kids slang and music that's important and TV shows that they watch because I'm old. I, I crossed that line somewhere along the way. Um, here's a big one for me. And I think this happened in the, in the pandemic, but one day I came home from the church and golf was on TV and y'all, I like to watch golf now. Like I never, ever did. <laughs> and then suddenly, and I think it's just because it's peaceful. That's what happens. Like there's so much chaos and I'm like, just this is peaceful. It's grass. Everyone's quiet. We applaud softly. Like I crossed the line. I know, like, I know I'm older. I take so much pride in the lines in my yard when I cut the grass now. Like, I will, I'll cut the grass and I will pause and I will admire what I did. I'm like, look at that. And I, I can go and tell you right now, 
that is not oppressing any students, except for maybe Alexander. He was like, yeah, but most students, they, don't, they are not interested. They don't care uh, about that. I'm past the age where if I use teenage slang, it seems cool. Like now if I do it, it's super weird. Like that's why I still call Alan dude. Like I use the slang from my generation because I can't keep up with the young people. I'm just old is all I'm saying. I'm getting older and older. That picture of a thermostat that I showed earlier, that's the Nest thermostat. I showed you that one because that one's mine and I'm proud of that thermostat. Like I became the dad. I love that thermostat. I could change the temperature at my house right now. If I, just because I feel like if I want my dog to sweat, I can make it hot, right? I love that thermostat. It became really important uh, in my family. So I say all that to say I consider myself part of the older generation now. So I'm not getting on to the older generation uh, alone. I'm getting on to it with, with me as well. And this is also true, uh, everyone in the room. Um, there's always someone younger than you in church. So maybe you're part of the younger generation, but even this, this conversation, it still matters to all of us, regardless of where we are in our, in our faith or in our, our like physical age. But Peter's going to talk about a problem that happens in, in church, a real problem. And here's the danger, older generation, if we're not cautious, here's the danger that we face. Uh, we will start to think, think that the younger generation does not need us. We'll start to think they're so different, their culture is so different, what they care about is so different, that it's easier if we just avoid them. Uh, we'll start to think that they don't care about us, and then we just kind of ignore them, and it's, it's dangerous. And, and worse than just ignoring the younger students, the younger people in our church, the younger generation, worse than that is if we're not cautious, church, we will start to think of the younger generations as burdens, as people who are standing in the way of our faith, of our worship, of our church, of our life. We'll start to think of them as burdens, and that's one of the most dangerous things that we can do. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 5. He goes on, he says, I exhort you, elders, uh, as a fellow elder, Peter's older. He's an older man at the time of writing this. He was a wild young man who had, you know, passion and he made crazy decisions, but now he's older. He's writing to fellow elders and he's saying, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, he says, shepherds, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing, not leading out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Peter says older generations at our church, this church that he's writing out, and this is true for us, older generations, we are all shepherds. Every single person in this room, you may not know, but a church is one crazy big family. And as an older person, my age or not, whatever, as the older generation, the younger generation is watching us. They're watching everything that we do. And Peter says that all of us are shepherds. You don't have a choice in the matter. You may not serve every Sunday in the student ministry or the preschool or the nursery or the kids ministry, but the way you live your life, it matters right now. All of us are shepherds. All of us lead, and the way that we lead matters. Peter ended that section of scripture saying the chief uh, shepherd returns, you'll re receive a, a crown of unfading glory. He's saying that this, this interaction between the older generation and the younger generations in the church is so important. It has eternal consequences, an unfading crown from the chief shepherd himself. Church, all of us are shepherds. That's true. And the way that you shepherd, the way that you lead the next generation among you, it really matters. And let me tell you why it matters so much, church. Uh, there, there's this concept that I learned in, in, in school. It's called the 414 window. 
And 414, when it refers to the fact that most people who pray to receive Jesus, um, they start that relationship with him in between the ages of 4 and 14. That means the most spiritually crucial period of anyone's life is in between the ages of 4 and 14. That's when most of us in this room pray to receive Jesus. That's when most people surrender their heart to him. That's when most people are, are like spiritually soft enough to really hear the message and respond to what Jesus has done in between the ages of 4 or 14. It's the, the, the younger generation. Uh, research has shown that uh, between the ages of 16 and 18, people's worldviews are almost entirely crystallized. That when someone believes about the, the church, about God, about the world, about their family, about finances, about relationships, about anything that we've talked about in this whole series, that by the time someone's 18 years old, it's almost impossible to change that person's view on that thing. And as a church, as people who are part of this body, the way we shepherd and the way that we lead and the way we show the younger generations how we follow Jesus, it matters, it shapes them in incredible ways. All of us are shepherds and all of us lead and the way that we lead matters. We need your wisdom, older generation, and we need your influence and we need you to be near and present and active in the lives of the younger generations of our church. It is something that we desperately Need. Even if you don't serve every week, I promise you, students are paying attention. Students are listening. You, you, parents, you've experienced this before um, where you uh, hear your child say something and it's your voice coming out of their mouth. You've had that moment where you're like, oh no, where did they learn that from? And they're like, they learned it from me because they're watching and they're paying attention. And the same thing is true in our church. Peter says this responsibility to shepherd and to lead the next generation is on all of us. And it's not something that we can take lightly. It has eternal consequences. And the way that we lead matters. And then he gives us examples on the right way, the healthy way, the best way, the Jesus way to lead the younger generations and our church. He says this in verse three. He says not, oh, I skipped it. Verse two, my bad. Verse two, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed, but eagerly. Lead, shepherd, guide, serve willingly and eagerly, not out of compulsion, but because it's something God would have you to do. Church, here's what I would tell you. Uh, leading the next generation is not a burden, it's a blessing. It really is a blessing. And the way we talk about and the way we serve the younger generations in our church will shape the way they feel about God and shape the way they feel about church and shape the way they feel about the world. Let me give you uh, just a really quick example. And I think about this all the time. Um, I know Bridget and the student or the kids ministry team works incredibly hard. My wife, Sarah, helped start an 11 o'clock service for kids uh, right now. If your kids are like my kids and you can't force them to sit down. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, but when we talk to people about serving in, in, in kids' ministry specifically, student ministry is cool, and I'm going to brag on student ministry leaders, leaders in a little while. But when we talk to people about serving in kids' ministry, do you know what I hear a lot? I hear people say things like, I already served my time. We talk about serving the youngest among, amongst us as if it's a prison sentence, right? That's wild. If 4 through 14 is the most spiritually crucial period of someone's life, why do we serve them as if they are a burden? And think about it, even saying those things around kids, what that communicates is I can't wait to be done with you. And if we aren't cautious, we'll become a church that teaches kids, the older generation, just wants them to grow up so they can get past this. And they'll start to think that's the way God feels about them. If we treat the younger generation like a burden, they'll believe that God sees them as a burden. And we cannot do that. That's, that just can't be who we are. 
Peter warns against it. It was already starting in the early church. And if we're not cautious, church, it will happen amongst us. It will happen inside of us. It will happen in our own family and in our own church. Uh, and this is true, too, for, for us as families as well. Uh, the way we talk about, the way we lead, the way we care for our kids, man, it ultimately matters. And serving the next gen has massive impacts. Uh, there's a lady named Kara Powell who wrote a book called Sticky Faith. She did a lot of research and she was studying why uh, people who have strong Christian faith in high school seem to walk away from their faith when they go to college. Um, there's a guy named Steve Parr who wrote another book that's called Why They Stay. Same thing, he was studying what is it about students who have faith in high school who continue that faith on in college. And I think about this all the time now that my kids are getting older. Uh, and parents, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you too, it was way easier to tell parents what to do when I didn't have kids than it is now that I have them, right? Because they're uncontrollable. But I think about this all the time. I, I worry about my kids growing up in church with a pastor dad. Like I, I don't want their faith to be shallow or performative or fake. I want to know what it is that helps faith stick with students once they graduate high school. Uh, and here's what both of those studies, Kara Powell's Sticky Faith and Steve Parr's Why They Stay, here's what they found, parents. The number one predictor that a faith stuck with a kid after they graduated high school was that their parents served in the local church. Like more important than have a cool student ministry, more important than have a church they want to go to, the number one thing is that their parents served in the church. The way we lead matters. The way we shepherd matters. It shapes people's faith. It shapes people's worldview. It reaches into eternity. And the truth is, all of us in the older generation, we are all shepherds. The way that you lead matters because the younger generation is paying attention. Peter goes on in verse 3. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Don't force them. Don't show that you're powerful. But by being an example to the flock. And this, I think, is the most powerful way, church, that we shepherd the younger generation amongst us, by being the example, by, by showing them what it looks like to really pursue this thing that we call faith, by showing them in real life what it really means to follow after Jesus, by being an example, not just telling them what's wrong with the life and the world around them, but showing them why Jesus' way is actually better. And so here's my challenge to the older generation this morning. I want you guys to be thermostats, not thermometers. Thermostats, you guys, I was talking about thermostats the whole time so I could get to this point. Does it make sense? It'll make sense in a second, I think. Here, here's what I mean. A thermometer is interesting, right? A thermometer can tell you the temperature of a room. You could take a thermometer and you could stick it to the wall of your, your living room and it could tell you if your living room is hot and it could tell you if your living room was cold, but it can do nothing to change the environment of the living room right? A thermostat does something different. The thermostat measures the temperature of the room, and then it changes the environment. It actually changes things. It makes things better. Or if you're like really hot all the time, it makes things worse because you keep making it hotter, right? The thermostat changes the temperature of the room. A thermometer can't change things. A thermostat actually can and being a thermometer when it comes to the next generation, when it comes to the young people in your families and in our church and in the culture that we live in, it's so much easier to be a thermometer than it is a thermostat because all you have to do is point out what's wrong. And if I'm going to talk to you from a student's point of view right now, here's what I would tell you. Kids are tired of being told what's wrong over and over and over again. It's easy to say you don't like the music. It's easy to say you don't like what they care about. It's easy to say you don't like their views on relationships. It's easy to point out all the things that they get wrong, but pointing out what's wrong doesn't really change anything if you can't change the environment. But a thermostat steps in and can show there's a better way. They can make things different. They can change 
the environment. I was talking to Alan Jackson about this uh, illustration of the thermostat and the thermometer, and uh, he had a good point too. He said that uh, the thermostat has to be in the same room to make a difference. Like your neighbor's thermostat can't change the environment of your house. It's got to be the one that's in your house. We've got to be around the next generation. We have to be with them to actually make a difference and to make a change. And the way we, we show them a better way, the way church older followers of Jesus, the way we become thermostats and not thermometers is we live our lives with authenticity and with reality and with real passion for Jesus. And that stuff begins to, to shape and to change. If the students, the younger generation in our church see people passionately pursuing Jesus, not performatively, right? Like truly following after him, it's gonna be the thing that really makes a difference. That's how we become thermostats. That's how we show students there's a better way. So just, just a couple of really quick examples. Jim, Jim Rodovian's not here. Right? I don't see Jim. Are you hiding here somewhere? If y'all don't know Jim, Jim is old. He's an old man. He's awesome. Uh, I can say that because he's not here. If he's listening, he'll find like a wiffle ball bat and hit me with it later. Um, but here's what I love about Jim. I mean, Jim's been through life. He's been through real life. Um, his wife was struggling with, with cancer diseases right now. He's lost a child. He, he's experienced real pain and real suffering, but he also knows the real Jesus. And Jim doesn't try to be cool. He doesn't try to show up and show off to the students, but Jim will be at every event that we do just around the kids because he loves Christ. He loves them. and He shows them that's a better way. Jim's a thermostat. He changes things just by being authentic, just by being real. Going back to the parents, real quick, parents, the, the best thing you can do for your student's faith is to be the same person at church as you are at home. The, the church, I talk about this with students all the time, the church mask, the thing that we do where we put this mask on when we come to church because we don't want the people around us to know what's happening, and it's so, it's so dangerous because we're just teaching the kids to, to, to fake it. But a thermostat is honest, they're real. If you've got struggles, have struggles. If you need prayer, you need prayer. Like we, we gotta be authentic. We gotta be real. That's what thermostats do. That's how we set an example for the flock because we're shepherds. All of us are called and the way that we lead matters. Be, be shepherds, be authentic, be real. Be the people who show them what real faith is, looks like. When we come together in, in places like this and we worship together as a church, man, show the students just like chase after Jesus in this moment. Don't hold back. I promise if we can set the example, older generation of what passionate, authentic, like honest worship looks like, it will rub off. It will make a difference to my kids and the students who are underneath us. The, the, the way we worship in this room matters. The way we pray with our friends matters. One of my, my favorite things that Sarah does, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna brag about her still, is she has uh, this book called She Reads Truth. It's like some fancy Bible study thing. And she has it on our kitchen table and my kids see her reading it all the time. It's not something you have to do. She's just being a thermostat. She's setting the example better than I do. And I get paid to do it, right? You can be a thermostat and that's what really changes things. Be a thermostat in your homes. Be a thermostat with your faith. Be authentic in who you are. And when we gather and we worship, really pursue Jesus in this moment. Thermostats change things. Church, even if you can't serve every week in preschool or the nursery or kids or students, then pray for our students. Like drench them in prayer. Let's be a church that prays over the next gen, the younger generations in our church, even if we never see them and even if we don't know them. We have an event coming up in March. We're calling it the weekend. It's our, our D Now event, but we just changed the name. 
Uh, and we're going to have students gathered in this room, and they're inviting friends, and they're bringing people over. And the number one thing, church, that you can do for the student ministry in this, this uh, event is to pray, pray, pray like crazy. Pray for salvations and pray for baptisms. Pray for people who have walked away from faith to suddenly come back home. Pray for worship to really change and to make a difference. Pray for a deeper understanding of our faith. Pray for the next gen. Pray for the elementary students. Pray for the nursery and the workers because we desperately <laughs> need those prayers. Prayer matters. Be thermostats and not just thermometers. Don't just point out what's wrong from a distance. Get involved and actually change things. Make a difference in the environment. Let me say this to you real quick. Just, I'm going to go off topic for just uh, one second. Uh, I do want to brag on the, on the student ministry team. I think the leaders and the volunteers that serve in student ministry are honestly the best ones in the church. Other people try to steal them sometimes, and I tell them no. Like, I love uh, my leaders, um, but we had a scary moment that happened this morning, and I was in here preparing, so I, I didn't get a chance to, to be there for it. But our, one of our sixth grade small group leaders, sixth grade guys, uh, his name's Jeff Campbell, um, he has some chest uh, heart issues, and he had severe chest pains this morning. And someone had to rush him to the hospital in the middle of small group, like today, just a few minutes ago. Um, he's at the hospital now. When We don't know how long he's going to be there. Um, but I was texting uh, with his brother-in-law, and I asked if I could pray. i just tell everyone Jeff's story and what was happening. So as a student pastor, since one of my leaders is in the hospital, I just want to, can we just pause for a second and pray? And I'll get back to this in a moment. Um, but prayer matters. And I want you all to just join in with me. I'm going to pray uh, for Jeff uh, and Pam, his, his wife, and Julia, his daughter, uh, and the students who were in the room with him this morning. But just for my sake, y'all pray with me. Father, I, I really am, uh, I'm grateful that we get to be a part of a church that cares, um, that cares about people, cares about individuals, cares about families, cares about students. Um, God, I'm so thankful for Jeff Campbell for his, his, his willingness to serve, to give up time to be with sixth graders uh, and, and to try to share the wisdom and, the, and the, 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 the advice and the faith that he has. And God, I don't know how scary that must be uh, for everyone involved, for the kids in the room, for Pam's wife, for Julia's daughter, um, to, to have to rush out and, and, and go to the hospital. And so, Father, I pray that you would protect him. I pray you'd heal his heart and give the doctors the wisdom to treat him in the best way possible. And then, God, just, I mean, as we're talking about praying and covering people in prayer, um, God, let, let us as a church body today, like just right now, let's just pray all over uh, Jeff. Uh, I, I pray it makes a difference in, in uh, his recovery. I pray it makes a difference in the wisdom of the doctors. Uh, and God, I pray it makes a difference to us because we are a church that cares about our, our people. So Father, we pray for healing. We pray for guidance. We pray for wisdom. Uh, we pray for rest because I can't imagine how stressful um, all of this is. Um, but God, I know you're bigger than our fears. That You're the great physician. You're the one who can heal so we put all our hope and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Amen. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for that, y'all. Uh, keep praying for Jeff because I don't have any information other than that just happened a few minutes ago and it kind of shook me for a second. So keep praying for him. Older generation, how you lead matters. Be thermostats, not thermometers. Don't just point out what's wrong. Like, show us a better way. Um, oh, I forgot to say this earlier. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Going back to that same point about a thermostat. I, um... I know Robert last week talked about marriage, or a couple weeks ago, talked about marriage and how important uh, godly marriage is, what, what God's view on marriage is. And, and y'all, I can't explain to you, those of you who are married, how important your marriage actually is uh, to, to people who maybe don't see what a godly marriage looks like, who, who don't know what it looks like to have a mom and dad who love each other and who have a mom and dad who also love Jesus. Just being an incredible married couple makes a difference in the lives of the next-gen students. 
Um, I, I had breakfast a few weeks ago with the senior adult men's uh, Bible study. They meet at a place called JR's Log House, I think, which is awesome. It's real good. It's real good. And uh, I sat across the table from uh, Lonis Barrett, um, and I don't, wanna, I don't know how old Lonis is, and I don't want to guess, but Lonis is older than me. Uh, and I love Lonis. He's, he's an amazing guy. And, and as I was talking to him across the table, I just asked him about where he and his wife met, how he met his wife, Carol. And for 20 minutes, Lonis bragged on Carol. Like he, he, it was like he was a 15-year-old who had just fallen in love. He told me how they met. He told me about the notes they wrote. He told me all, like, how, how much he loves her and how much he serves her. And he wasn't trying to lead me in that moment. But just by being himself and having a marriage that is awesome, I like thought differently about my marriage, right? It was a conversation where I was like, oh man, that shaped me in a way he never knew he was gonna have. All of y'all, I guarantee it, all of y'all can think about a conversation that you had with a coach or a teacher or a pastor or a Bible study leader or a parent who they said that one thing that stuck with you for life. And they may not even remember they ever said it. But as the older generation, as the church, it's all of us are shepherds, you have no idea the impact that your faith, your conversations, the way that you serve, the way that you love your spouse, the way that you pursue Jesus even when you're single, the way we worship together, you have no idea the impact that will have on the next generation. Church, be thermostats, not thermometers. We gotta practice changing the environment. That's how we change culture. That's how we shape things. That's how we make things matter. Peter's not done yet, though. He moves on to, to verse 5, and he's going to switch for a moment to speak to the younger generation. So younger generation, which I'm also, I'm going to like include myself in the younger generation at the same time. Is that okay? Can I be both? I want to be both. Peter says in verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says in the same way, uh, younger generation in the church, submit yourself, subject yourself, make the decision to sit under people who are older than you and listen to what they say. Hey, here's what I'd say, uh, younger generation, we need the older generations. We need the people who are older than us. We need the people who are wiser than us. We need the people who have gone before us because they can help us in amazing ways. They can show us things we never could have seen. They have wisdom that we desperately need. Younger generations make this decision. Choose to like sit under, to listen to, to learn from. Honestly, to utilize the older generations in our church. We have older saints in our church who have experienced life in ways you and I can never imagine, and they have wisdom that we desperately need. I tell the students a lot when I talk about relationships that if you need relationship advice, you shouldn't ask your friends because they're the same age as you are, and they're dumb, and they don't know, right? But what you really should do is find someone who's got a successful marriage, who still loves their, their spouse after decades of marriage, and ask them for wisdom. They understand things that we can't yet. We need the older generation. And younger generation, here's, here's one of the greatest skills that you can ever learn in life. One of the greatest skills you can ever learn in life or to have in life is to learn from other people's successes and failures. Like you don't have to make the same mistakes that people have made over and over and over again. You can seek out people who are wiser and ask for that wisdom and they will help you avoid some of those mistakes that you don't have to make. You can seek out people who have successful faith People who, who, who are successful in their, in their careers but also love Jesus and ask them, how do you cultivate a faith that matters in the business world? You can grow by looking at other people's successes and other people's failures. Younger generations don't miss out on the truth of who uh, the older generations are um, before it's too late. Uh, just one last thing to throw about our podcast. Um, there's another guy who serves our church. His name is Mr. Harold. He's in his 90s. Mr. Harold's amazing. He comes to church, uh, to offices every Monday, 
and puts in the attendance records of the church, like still types them in. Uh, he's an amazing guy. Um, and we sat down with him and the church recorded his, his testimony, his faith, his story. And it's on our po- podcast. You can go and learn from Mr. Harold right now because he has wisdom that we desperately need. And one of the greatest skills you can ever learn, younger generations, you can ever have is to learn from other people's failures and other people's mistakes. I know there are generational differences and sometimes it feels like they pull us apart, but it doesn't have to be that way. These things that sometimes divide us can really bring us together. And in a church, Peter says it's important, it's valuable, it's eternal that we all come together, that we all lead each other and care for each other and, and, and guide each other, shepherd each other so that we can become the people God's created us to be, so we can become the church that, that, that Jesus dreamed of when DBC was planted. And Peter himself knew how important this was. Like Peter in his own life knew how valuable it was to seek out mentorship, to seek out wisdom of people that are older than him. And he knew how important it was now as an older man to write about how important it was for the older generation to take care and to shepherd and to lead the younger generation. If you don't know um, the the story of Peter, I'll just tell you real quick. Um, When Peter was younger, uh, he was a fisherman. Jesus calls him to follow after him. And Peter is like an emotional guy, super emotional. He's super headstrong. He's super passionate. And because of that, he makes some crazy decisions. Um, there's a moment where he you know, jumps out of a boat and he walks on water for a moment and begins to sink. And it's, it's, it's cool. It's an awesome moment. Um, there's a moment where the, the, the soldiers come to take Jesus and Peter chops off a guy's ear and Peter has to get on to him. He's like, no, that's not what we do. We're, we're something different. We're something better. Um, there's a moment when um, the, the, the Jewish leaders are asking Peter if he knew who Jesus was as Jesus was being beaten right before the cross. And three times Peter, because of fear of people and of things around him, denies that he ever knew who Jesus was. He made big mistakes throughout his life. Um, and after the resurrection, there's a moment Jesus is uh, walking along the shore. Peter's in a fishing boat. Peter sees Jesus. He puts clothes on and jumps out of the boat in the water and swims to the shore. I love it, even in that moment. And he has this conversation with Jesus where Jesus restores Peter to his faith. He restores Peter to the mission he had for him. He says, "Um, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I do love you. And Jesus says, well, then feed my lambs. And he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I love you. And he says, well, feed my sheep. Third time, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter knew what it was like to be forgiven and to have a mentor who shepherded him and guided him and led him. And that's why Peter, I think in this passage, in verse four, he ends it this way. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. That, that phrase, chief shepherd, this is the only time in the scripture that that title is given to Jesus. He's referred to as a shepherd before, but Peter is the only one who uses that phrase, that, that chief shepherd. And I think he uses that because of that conversation he had with Jesus. He knew how much he needed a shepherd. He knew how valuable it was to have someone who showed him a better way. Didn't just point out what was was wrong, but was a better example. Showed him a better way to that full, abundant life that Jesus promised. Younger generations, like Peter, we need someone to guide us. We need the older generation to shepherd us. And we also have to remember that there are people younger than us who we are leading and shepherding at the same time. And now as an older man, Peter is reminding Uh, the church that we got a shepherd in the same way. And just like he needed Jesus back then when he was young and he was reckless, he still needs Jesus now that he's older. And the truth is, church, all of us need that chief shepherd. All of us need that real, authentic, meaningful, powerful relationship with the living Jesus who changes us from the inside out. All of us desperately need that.
And in a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray for us. I want to pray again as a church. I want to pray uh, for the older generation, that we would lead well, that we would shepherd well, that we would be thermostats and change the environments uh, around us. And I want to pray for the younger generation, that we would humble ourselves like the scripture told us to do, to seek out mentorships, to seek out wisdom of those who are older than us. But I also want to pray um, if there's anyone here this morning who's never had that moment like Peter did, where he surrendered it all to Jesus, where he laid out his mistakes and he laid out his sins and, and Jesus forgave him and set him free. He became the chief shepherd, the chief leader of his life. I want us to have a moment where we have that opportunity to respond. So if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, this could be your chance. You pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, set me free from the consequence of those sins. Confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and the scripture says you could be saved and your eternity could change forever. And you could have uh, an example, a shepherd to guide you and to lead you, to show you the better way, the way Peter did. If you're here this morning and that's the place where you are, you want to have that conversation, you want to make that decision, you want to pray that prayer, you can find someone in a green shirt in the lobby after the service. You can find a pastor who's wandering around. I'll hang up uh, out here at the front and I would love to talk to you about what it means to follow after Jesus uh, in that way. And then when we're done praying, we're going to sing a song that's a blessing over all of us, but over the next generation as a church, because we know that as the older generation, we're all shepherds. The way we worship matters. The way we lead matters. The example that we set, it ultimately matters. So when we're done praying, we'll stand up and we'll worship. And let's not hold back from this moment. Let's show the younger generation what a heart completely turned to God looks like. And let's chase after him together. Uh, Y'all pray. Father, I'm so grateful for the moments in the scripture where you, you outline these huge theological truths. But God, I'm also amazed at the little practical moments in the Bible practical moments where Peter is talking about an issue, a real issue that churches constantly face. And Jesus, thank you so much for showing us that there's a better way, a more meaningful way, a way that really makes a difference. Father, for the older generations in our church, I pray for passionate faith, for authentic faith, for deep faith, a real relationship with you in our, in our, in our careers, in our marriages, in our families, in our singleness, in our life. God, let us pursue you even in this moment. Father, I pray the younger generation of this church uh, would easily be able to say, I know the older generation loves Jesus and I know the older generation loves us. Let's be a church that pursues you that way. Father, for the younger generation, I pray you'd give us the, the wisdom and the courage to seek out mentorships, to humble yourself, to admit that we don't know everything. We need help to ask for it from you know, our leaders or our family or um, just people who call this church a home. God, show us what it looks like when those generations work together and how beautiful that really is. And then Jesus, thank you for being the chief shepherd, the one who saves and who guides and who directs. Thank you for saving me when I was so, so far from you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's never had that moment where they surrendered their life and asked for forgiveness, set free by you, I pray you give them the courage to talk to a leader, talk to a green shirt, find a pastor, just grab the person next to him and say, how do I get saved? Father, I pray you move through us in that way. And God, help us be thermostats, not thermometers. Change the environment in our homes and in our church and our work and our schools and our families by pursuing you with everything that we've got, just like Peter did. And then God, we know that in the end, all the things we talk about, all the things that we do, none of it would be possible if it wasn't for Jesus and the work he did on the cross. And so Father, it's in his name 
power that we pray. Amen. You guys stand up and worship.